The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order. Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, hello, world, and welcome to a Solid Summit podcast, a better than average podcast, if I do say so myself, and of course I always do. I am your moderately humble host, Kale, and here with me this week, super excited to welcome to the podcast from the Tuttle Twins TV show, Mr. Daniel Harmon and Johnny Vance. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us on. Great uh, to be here, Kale. Uh, really appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate you guys setting aside the time. Um, love that we live in a day and age where this kind of stuff happens, where we can go from uh, not knowing each other, speaking briefly on a t- Twitter space a few weeks ago, to uh, sitting here on the podcast. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great brave new world. We love it. So I was pretty upfront about the fact that it's entirely possible I do not have the requisite talent to pull off interviewing two guests at the same time, but we're going to try and make it work. The first difficulty in my brain was just, uh, pulling off the interview or the, uh, the intro, uh, because you guys both wear a lot of hats. Um, so listeners will know because this is the way podcast works and you probably looked at a description or at least a show title before you click this episode, um, that you guys are both involved with the Tuttle Twins TV show. And we've talked about Tuttle Twins a fair amount here on the podcast where, uh, you know, affiliates for the books and all that kind of good stuff. But, uh, Daniel, you're, uh, credited as the show creator. And then I think you also Mm -hmm. do some writing at the very least. Yeah. Yep, and then Johnny. At least as far as the show's concerned, uh, and and help me if I'm, I've missed anything. Uh, voice actor for one of the uh, I would I would say co leads. I'm not sure how. I mean, Derek obviously is the lead, uh, but the voice <laughs> of, of Ethan on the show doing some uh, some voice work. And then I, I noticed um, writer and director credits for you as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And also, I take out the garbage occasionally. So <laughs> just you know, all those all those hats. See, now, if you guys kept some real raccoons around the office, that problem would solve itself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually a reason to, uh, we'll, we'll talk to HR. That'll be great. So, well, but before we dive in here, uh, I do have some podcast business to get out of the way. We have a small tradition here, always of uh, cracking uh, a Jocko Go here on the podcast. We say that we're always fueled by Jocko Go. Now, normally that's my my uh, gift to guests. I send uh, cases of Jocko Go, but in this instance, I sent bags of Haribo gold bears uh, because it only seemed appropriate <laughs> to send you guys golden gummy bears. And then true to form, which I think is just a, just a great moment we can share here uh, is uh, it's they're being delivered by the government. They're somewhere on a USPS <laughs> delivery truck and just shock of all shocks. They couldn't get it delivered 
before we're recording. And I believe it's roughly 150 degrees uh, out where you guys are at now. So at some point, a bag of gelatinous goo. Uh, will arrive with our thanks here from the Solid Seven Podcast for you guys. The, the golden goo bag. Yep, we'll take it. That's. I mean, that, there's some metaphor. There's a metaphor here somewhere. Yes, fantastic. So, well, you know, before we dive too much into to the show and the background of Tuttle Twins and what that's all about, I would like to, you know, fill the listeners in a little bit on you guys and, and what your background is and kind of uh, kind of how you came together. So I, we can start from from either avenue. Uh, you know, how does uh, you know, what happens in, in life in the, in the, uh, you know, developmental years that leads one to end up working on an animated TV show? <laughs> um, I don't know the answer to the developmental years, um, aspect of things, I guess. I mean, I, I grew up very poor working on a farm in Idaho and I had a lot of time out working in fields to imagine. Um, and so my imagination ran wild with a lot of my favorite movies. Um, so things like Star Wars and, um, you know, Indiana Jones and, and uh, Mission Impossible, a lot of the Walt Disney a- animated um, uh, feature films, Lion King, all those types of things. And so I, I think I always kind of thought in terms of show business, but I put myself more in the... I put myself more in the role of the lead. Like I, I thought I, it would be really cool if I was Luke Skywalker and Han Solo's best friend that just does <laughs> was this like third or fourth will, I guess, by the time you add Leigh in. Yeah, right um, on. Those, those are the things that like, I guess, led a little bit to my interest in, um, in animation over time. But long, well, I guess you do have space with a long story with the format of your podcast here. But um, for me, I didn't necessarily start out in animation. I went to school. um, When I was going to school, I tried to get into the animation program at BYU. BYU is an extremely competitive animation program, top tier. I think it's often ranked as the number one animation school out there. Um, I didn't end up getting in. I ended up uh, pivoting towards advertising and studying that. Um, I went to the creative track of advertising, learned things like copywriting and um, graphic design, and then um, had a successful career in advertising, ended up um, co-founding ad, an ad agency called Harmon Brothers. We were known for um, known for hits like Squatty Potty, you know, the pooping unicorn with the rainbow ice cream and, and purple mattress and the, the launch of that brand with the egg drop test and goldilocks and and um other big brands like chat books and fiber fix and later lumi uh deodorant and kodiak cakes and all these um big you know viral hits uh, make mega successful campaigns super e being another one and um got kind of learned the ropes of storytelling through advertising and of character development and the 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 conflict and and ultimately of education of being able to you know our style of of advertising was to do an almost an infomercial style ad but with a lot of character and comedy in it rather than just being you know just whatever pitch person there was a lot of a lot of branding elements integrated into it and then at some point kind of got to the point where I wanted to tell my own stories and not just do it for other companies. Right. And um, 
So the author of the Tuttlesman book, Connor Boyack, um, he and I have been friends for years. And I bought the first book when it came out, read it with my kids, loved it, bought every book that came out since, really fulfilled the need for me. And when he had enough traction, it, it's interesting. Um, so, so Johnny ended up coming on later to work at Harmon Brothers and was very successful as a writer and a creative director there at Harmon Brothers, led up some of our biggest campaigns as well. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let you speak to that a little bit, Johnny, kind of you, you coming into the picture. Well, yeah, let me real quick, and, and then I'll bring you bring you in on this, Johnny. You know, a, a few things that um, stand out to me there. One, um, you know, it's you you cleared some big, like you didn't, it's not just that you guys had successful campaigns, you had really challenging campaigns. So I feel like the task in marketing, and certainly you're the expert, so correct me if my take is wrong, but it's it really is education on a small scale. You're, you're wanting to educate and convince the consumer of something, right? Differentiating your product. But with things like Squatty Potty and Poopery, like, they were launching categories. So that hurdle of, you know, educating the consumer was that much higher. And so you guys come in and do that, uh, you know, and of course, you know, I think there, you know, were some famous billionaires that might've played a small role in, uh, in some of those catching on too. Um, they're on the, the sharks, but, um, you guys just did it in such a creative and neat way. And so that, but I've, I found, I feel like I, I've stumbled upon an inside joke. And if I'm not, you can just claim this story is true the rest of your life. But, I love that in looking into you guys and seeing how creative your ad campaigns are. And obviously there's a, a lot of intelligence, a lot of genius going into what you do that when you guys sat around the table and tried to decide what you were going to name this company, Harmon brothers is where you landed. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was the most boring name, <laughs> the most interesting ad. Uh, yeah. Just, a, just a little on the nose. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the afterthought, so Harmon Brothers started with the, with the poopery campaign. So we had been, my brothers and I had been working at a company called Aura Brush, tongue cleaner for bad breath. Um, and it became famous because it was the first advertising campaign on YouTube where you could spend a dollar behind the ad, get placements, in front of people and then more than a dollar came back in purchases. And so it was a machine, right? Yeah. As soon as that kind of happened, it really propelled Aura Brush's growth where they ended up getting um, placement in places like, you know, CVS and Walgreens and, and Walmart and, and uh, Boots and all these different places. Um, and then a company called Poopery reached out to my brother and said, hey, I, I think you're the guy to come on my brother Jeffrey, that was a co-founder of, of Aura Brush, to get the guy to come on and do this 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 campaign for my product poopery that you know it's a toilet spray that that hides the smell of your poop, and um, we tried out the product, we really liked it. Ultimately, all left Aura Brush to do the poopery campaign, and we needed a business entity to put the campaign money into, and so it was like one of those late night decisions of like, okay, what are we going to call this thing? Cause it wasn't even like, it was literally just a thing to put money into, to make, yeah. <laughs> to make the campaign happen. I will just call our Harmon brothers and we'll, you know, we'll change it later if we need to kind of a thing. Um, and it never changed. And so that's how it happened. It was, a, there was never a thought of creating an ad agency behind it or anything along those lines. It was just like, let's just get this started and up and running. And then um, as soon as the poopery campaign blew up, and got featured on places like Huffington Post and Adweek and Ad Age and all that kind of stuff. They were citing creative agency Harmon Brothers. We were 
sitting there around my brother's kitchen table. This is where we're running everything from, yeah. at least, you know, from the ad placement strategy st- standpoint and saying, are we an ad agency? I guess we're an ad agency. I mean, we did do work for a client. And, and anyway, that's kind of how Harmer Brothers stuck from that point. And not that this is why you're here, but I've just, that was such a great campaign. At least when it hit my radar, the ad that I remember was just this super proper woman with the British accent doing the pitch. Yep. Was that the very yes, beginning that's of that? The one. That's the one. That was the very beginning one. The one where she opens up the bathroom stall. Yeah. She's doing the entire pitch from sitting on a toilet with a little dress that kind of covers up and keeps things somewhat, somewhat modest. And then she's saying all sorts of outlandish and very descriptive things about bowel movements with a British accent. Yep. That was the whole thing. And it, it went crazy viral um, wild and was very successful. So it sold about a product, all that, all those kind of good things. The stores were selling out and just really propelled their company on their growth. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And then Johnny, you are not a Harmon brother. So how'd you, how'd you snake your way in there? Yeah. Um, I ask myself that every day. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a distant cousin. I'm probably a distant cousin. Um, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of rewind a little bit for me. Um, like ever since I was little, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a doctor. That's what my dad is. That's what my grandpa is. And his father before him, you know, it's just kind of a, 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 uh, this idea that work had to be work. And, um, you know, I was never in love with being a doctor, but I'm like, yeah, work is never fun. Well, the ironic part was even with my chores at home, I come from a family of 10 kids. So like, and I'm the second oldest, so we'd always have chores and, um, I would Tom Sawyer, my siblings, I would like create these stories and these games where they would be doing all my chores, but they'd be happily doing it because it was part of getting points for this adventure we are on and stuff. And so (laughs) it's kind of fitting that like, I discovered I had a real love for storytelling and for imagination while getting out of real work. That's um, fantastic. And then um, <laughs> I, I, that's translated into my job where, man, I'm like, well, I get it. You know, I, I graduated college with a genetics degree. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, my senior year, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a doctor, but what, but if I, you know, if I don't do real work, what will I do? You know? And, uh, I took a, a sketch writing class from this guy named Matt Meese. Um, and it was just like an elective sort of a thing. And they had this show called studio C. It was like a YouTube slash broadcasting show. And I worked way harder in that class than I ever did in any of my med classes, just because I thought it was so fun. Right. Like, oh my gosh, this is just a fun class. And then that got me a job. They bought one of my sketches, like basically a homework assignment. And then that got me a job as a student writer writing these sketches. And I was like, this is so fun. This is amazing. Oh man, I wish somebody would pay you to do these things for a real job. And then lo and behold, it's like, whoa, Harvard Brothers. Um, my brother had written on the Squatty Potty ad. Uh, it was telling me about this. I'm like, oh my gosh, could it be true that you could have fun, you know, riding outlandish things, doing not a real job and get paid for it? And that was my foray into Harmon Brothers. And then, yeah, just loved it. Loved the creative sandbox we had there. And then with Daniel, yeah, I was just kind of looking eventually for something else. I had my own kid, uh, was kind of shifted into parent mode of, okay, what do I want to teach my kid? What do I want to protect them against? And Tuttle Twins just was this perfect opportunity. We didn't know initially that there'd be a market for a TV show. We knew the books were popular, but so yeah, Daniel and I kind of 
launched this crowdfunding campaign for for Tuttle Twins and it like blew our socks off that more people wanted to, you know, sponsor or I guess fund it. And we became the number one crowdfunded kid show ever, uh, certainly after. And, and, you know, just so many people were wanting and yearning for a show that could teach their kids the lessons they were want, desperately wanting schools and other media to teach them about, you know, economics and, and free trade and, you know, Bitcoin, things like that. So that's kind of the, uh, the story for me. Has it has the passion always been with the writing for you? Was there was there any performing in your background? Uh, you know, uh, not really. Yeah, I, you could ask me ten years ago, do you want to be a voice actor? And I would have been like, nope, that's not on my list. <laughs> I, I, that being said, like I, I I love music and I've you know always like written songs and played in bands off and on. So like performing on stage has been, you know, was on there, but yeah, not, not voice acting in a, in a kid's cartoon playing an 11 year old boy was, was not on there. So. Uh, I've got one of our, our past guests. That's actually a friend of the family of mine, but she's a, a voice actress out in LA and works very hard at her craft and works, you know, does the auditions and goes and does the motion capture. Uh, and I'm sure your story will absolutely infuriate her. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry to people who are like this is my dream and i'm working i'm sorry I'm like yeah this is way fun but yeah i you know it's not wasn't on my well, bucket list what's funny about it is we used johnny as a temporary voice when we were creating the original animatic so the animatic is a collection of storyboards and temporary voices and sounds that you put together that is then used as the guide to create the animation so that's what decides your shot, your scene, your editing, pacing, all that kind of stuff. If you have a good animatic, then you'll ultimately have a good show. And so we use Johnny's voice for Ethan, and then we had cast somebody else. And then when we started putting that in, we just didn't like it as much <laughs> as the temp work that, that Johnny had done. And it was one of these things where you know, just to infuriate your friend even more. Um, <laughs> it was one of these things where we got clear, clear into the production and it was like a last minute change where it was going to cost us a fair amount of money to make that course correction and replace everything with Johnny's voice. And I just was like, I was hearing enough feedback from people and I had a little bit of a nagging thing in my stomach of like, yeah, as, as great as this voice artist is that we cast, I just don't know if it's the actual character. I think the character of Ethan needs to be more Johnny's voice. And I didn't imagine it that way because, you know, Johnny has the the voice of a, you know, 30 year old male <laughs> we're, we're, um, instead of, of 11 year old boy. And it wasn't putting on any kind of that voice. And then I've also, when I was kind of going back through some of the more distinct an animated characters that I've fallen in love with, a lot of them have really distinct voices, right? They have something that you don't see in the everyday and that's part of what makes it so great yeah. and so that kind of was the bet with both with johnny's voice as ethan and then as well with grandma's voice um who's actually voiced by a man and um then we pitch it up a little bit and he just puts on the persona of his grandma that he grew up with um when he performs the character and everything but that's part of what makes the characters so special is that you know it's not the expected sort of voice that you 
yeah. you'd hear for an 11 year old boy or for a grandma. Yeah. Now I'm prone to rabbit trailing guys. So don't let me forget that. I want to come back to the cultural appropriation of this man playing this elderly Cuban woman. Oh. Um, Cause that's <laughs> of course highly problematic these days, but I do kind of want to take us back to the, the touchstone of Tuttle twins, right? Cause you know, kind of without Connor launching that and getting into that books, you know, we'd be yeah. sitting here talking about you know, bowel movements. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, you said uh, you were you were friends with Connor. So, did you know him uh, before he had even started the series? Yes. Yeah. So we had worked together on a little film project called Life on Bitcoin. Um, we both had a mutual friend and his wife that lived off of Bitcoin for a hundred days. Created a documentary film out of it. I um, he was involved on the technology side of the of the website and the launch, the crowdfunding stuff behind it, and I was involved on the branding side of it, of doing um, graphic design work and branding and things like that for it. So we'd worked together even prior to this project. Okay, wow. And then when he re- when he wrote his first book, I bought it and I'd been following him for a while, really um, I, um, aligned uh, by and large with his, sort of with his ideological and political views. And so when he wrote a book, I was like, oh, cool. Got it for my kids, loved it, bought all the books since. And then our paths crossed again even later because Johnny actually reached out to Connor when they were starting to have some real momentum with their book sales of Tuttle Twins and starting to get into series format. Johnny reached out to him. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll, Johnny, why don't you tell about that, how, how you reached out to him and, and partnered up with Armour Brothers on that? Sure. Yeah, we were looking to do some experimental stuff. And we're like, hey, Connor, we can do this at cost if you're willing to like take a chance on us. So we kind of did some smaller ads for him i think one of the ads was a negative review ad where we just highlighted one star reviews i love <laughs> for it Tuttle Twins. it was like kids should be playing with legos not learning about economics you know the, uh, and things like that the and they're just so incredibly hilarious that uh that one like blew up and you know they're just little ads but um connor was able to spend you know drive i think hundreds of thousands of sales with these little ads we made for him so it was kind of right place right time and we're like man these books are awesome kind of got the wheels turning a little bit more i think with the original content stuff for sure and we we essentially like he connor kind of rode the momentum he was doing not just with what he was doing with Farmer brothers in the campaign but just his push push overall and started entertaining the idea of turning it into a book series yeah and kind of put, put it out there that he wanted to do that. And then that's when um, myself and my business partner, partner Benton, reached out to him and said, no, we want to turn this into a TV series for you. And um, and he, he loved our work. Connor loved what we were doing at Harmer Brothers. We've always loved what Connor was doing. And so it was kind of just a, uh, a mutually aligned sort of business partnership where when we sat down with him and kind of laid out the vision of what this could be, he bought in and we ended up, um, yeah, doing, doing the deal together and kicking it off. Well, it's, it's such a unique idea that he landed on where it's like the, the books and and then by extension, now the show just take these really heady topics. I mean, these things that are like, can be real slugs to read through out in the the real world, kind of this source material. And I just Mm -hmm. like in the history of mankind, nobody had looked at these works. I feel like before Connor and gone, 
how can I get a teen to be into this? You know, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm like, and when mm-hmm. I first heard about it, it was it was underground railroad stuff, right? It was it was like you had a friend who had started dealing drugs, and they wanted to tell you about it, but didn't know if you were going to narc. Like I just remember uh, my my friend Mike. He's actually uh, one of my regulars on the podcast here, um, and it was before I think I want to say it was before my kids were born, or maybe my son was very young. My my kids, my daughter's about to turn four, and my son's about to turn six. And I think my son was born, but very, very little. And so we're, we're out uh, on like a hike and he's, he's telling me about these books and he's like, you know, it's, he's like, it's kind of libertarian stuff, but it's, it's liberty and it's economics. And he's like, and it's, it's just awesome. I haven't found anything else like it. So I didn't pay a ton of attention. Right. Because I'm like, you know, I'm not going to read this instead of five little monkeys to my little one-year-old. Um, so this was before, you know, the, the cardboard, the, the toddler books were available. Um, but then as he started to get older and uh, my, my daughter was born, and then, you know, these things kind of click that you've kind of categorized, you know, that, that have just kind of stuck in the back of the brain. And then, you know, much to my, my wife's who my, my regular listeners will know, um, I married a genius CPA MBA, which uh, anybody, if you're not already married, I highly recommend uh, find yourself a CPA MBA. You'll never regret it. Um, but that's, <laughs> so much to her dismay. Uh, during one of the sales, I bought the whole shebang stuff. My kids can't touch for years. So I'm like, but look, I got these awesome toddler books, uh, for them. And she's like, yeah, but what about the other stuff? That's just, that's, I'm like, we'll get, we'll get to the other stuff. It's, it's fine. And then, but just to see it grow. And then when I started to see the ads for the cartoons and it hit just right, right. Like my, my son's like just in prime cartoon age right now. And so as we, you know, I, I, I saw the ads in advance and so I'm, I'm waiting for the show. And by this time, the books were more mainstream and kind of everybody in our little circle, uh, you know, we, we weren't underground dealers anymore. It's kind of on everybody's uh, radar and watching these concepts where I'm like, I couldn't wait to get to where reading the books to my kids would make sense for them. And then here comes mm-hmm. the cartoon and it completely fills in that gap. Right. And so I, there's a, a couple of stories that I love from this. And then I, I, I kind of want to get into um, the adaptation and how all that went down. But just to, to prime the listeners kind of for, for what the reaction has been to this. And I understand these stories, I, I sometimes I hesitate to tell them because it's kind of like when you read a, a, you know, a reporter uh, on social media of, we'll just say a certain political bent or belief system saying things like, on the subway today, my five-year-old asked me why all Republicans want to kill old people, and I wasn't sure how to answer the question. And you read that, and you, <laughs> your immediate response is, well, that, that didn't happen. That wasn't a thing. And so you see stuff like that, and you kind of dismiss it. But I had these two amazing experiences with my son after watching episodes of, of the TV show. And uh, the, the one was after, um, oh, which episode was it? It was roll for power, right? Um, okay. So, uh-huh. so the idea, is, yes. Uh-huh. So uh, listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't watched the show yet, a why, b go watch it. So this is really, and, and guys, correct me if I botch the uh, the the paraphrasing here, but it's really about like just government growing out of its bounds, breaking off those chains of the constant constitution, gaining more power, more overreach, and just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and and you guys yep. tell the story in in a, in a really cool way. Um, so I, we're, we're in his room, we're doing bedtime. We've, you know, we've done blessings for the day. We're going to pray. And he looks at me, if it hadn't happened, I'd, I'd call bull crap. 100%. I'm there with you. But my, I think he was four then looks at me and goes, 
so Dada, how do the people get the power back from the government? And I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, buddy, that's the question, right? I'm like, that's... He's, he's thinking critically about it. That's great. It was amazing. And then we were going to vote in primaries um, here in, in Florida. And the, we took the kids with us. We wanted them to see us vote and kind of experience that whole thing. And he wasn't quite grasping what we were doing. And so we're, we're I'm getting him out of the car there. And I said, buddy, remember how you, that you asked me how the people get their power back from the Leviathan? He goes, that's right. We're voting. And I'm like, mm -hmm. dang it. This stuff works. Like you can't get the average high school student, college student to be asking those questions, uh, to be mm -hmm. thinking that critically now and hear from these, these episodes, these cartoons, and they're good. They're funny. It's not, um, you know. God bless you, uh, Bible man. It's not like watching Bible man, right? Like it's not, it's not hokey. It's not, again, I'm sorry. It's not the left behind series. It's not, you know, we, we all know kind of these, you know, niche productions over the years. Like we sit and we sit and laugh. I, my regular comparison for the quality of the show is to Bluey, which I can't think of higher praise in the animated world these we, days. Uh, we love Bluey. We love Bluey. It, yeah. They're fantastic. And it's it's that same thing. Like my wife and I enjoy sitting and watching and we we laugh and mm -hmm. sometimes learn as much as the kids do. And it's it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um so once that, that conversation goes down and you kind of convince Connor we're gonna do this, like what what are first steps to go from? Because it's it's a very, very different medium and some of the the basis for some of the stories have changed, but Everything, well, not everything, a large percentage, the animation is very different from the books. The storylines are a little different. Yeah. Not everything has yeah. tracked. So, so how does that start to go? And, you know, even down to titles, like, does it ever feel, this isn't me throwing shade. This is a genuine question, but does it feel a little odd seeing the credits and seeing created by Daniel Harmon to you? Cause you're like, well, Connor, I mean, he kind of created it, but. Uh, no, for sure. The whole thing is odd. I mean, this whole experience of even like making a living with animation, I pinch myself every day. I'm like, do not take it for granted at all. It's count my blessings kind of thing. It's amazing, especially coming from, you know, college where I was rejected for the animation program. And then now back full circle with animation, it's, it's really pretty amazing. But to kind of address your question of how it got kicked off, when we sat down with Connor, sort of laid out the vision of what the Tuttle, Twin bra Tuttle Twins brand could be. And I had sort of a, a vision for it being like a, a Marvel brand, right? So Marvel has its comic books. It has the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It has the the, the TV shows and cartoons. It has the toys. It has the games. It has all these different things. And they each kind of take on a little bit of their own flavor. But then they, they all kind of go together, right? They all kind of support each other and, um, and increase the value of the Marvel brand overall. And that's kind of what the way I described, I th thought Tell Twins could be that the books would always kind of live in the, a little bit of this space where they're, they're kind of like 90% education and, and more like 10% entertainment, right? It's, it's, it's very much used as a, like a curriculum resource for kids. And the vision for the show has always been much more to kind of swap that, right? Go 10% um, education, but 90% um, entertainment. And that like it's that spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down, right? That if kids will actually choose to watch this as um, an entertainment resource over their options on Netflix and Disney Plus and YouTube and the like, then that's where we can really have a bigger impact 
on the culture, right? As opposed to just parents sitting that sitting them down in front of them, like you have to watch this kind of thing. We really wanted them to be engaged with the characters. And what's interesting, even though it it is much lighter on the education of the books themselves, every episode is we take into consideration the lesson we have to teach in the episode first, and then the story has to naturally come out of that. So we don't try to shoehorn shoehorn in the lesson to what we think is a really great story. It's the other way around. We start with the lesson, what we have to teach, and then we say, what's what's a great story to tell from that perspective? Because ultimately, I mean, I always use the example. Um, if I say the phrase, Kale, um, with great power comes... Great responsibility. Great responsibility. Pretty much anybody can complete that sentence for me, right? It's a really great teaching, a really great truth that comes through because of a really great story of the original Spider-Man, right? There's so much storytelling around it, and that's very powerful, even though it's just that like one little nugget in there. And that's a little bit of what we're trying to do with the show when we're taking on you know, giant topics like economics and um, free trade and all, all the, the, the golden rule, inflation, Bitcoin, all these things. What can we distill them down to so that kids will remember them for years to come? And so we've got little phrases like free trade, get stuff made, right? The concept of when everybody specializes is in different things and we and we um, trade with people all over the world and you can get these incredible things made like something as magical as a pencil um, that no one can make on their own, but because of the, the miracle of free trade that can happen or inflation for the nation. And then we learn about how the dollar um, is... Uh, prices go up and things when you when you increase the the supply of mm-hmm. a currency when you print a whole bunch more money then the prices go up right and then we talk about in um in the bitcoin episode we we um, oh i'm trying to that one's not coming to me right off the top of my head do you remember it johnny um it's uh oh yeah when when money's easy to make society begins to break and that's the whole concept of like when when people can just run amok with the money and just print it and create more, then our economic systems start to break down, and that's not that's not fair to the to the common person, right? Um, we have other things like um, uh, disagree doesn't mean enemy. That just because you don't share the same opinion or the same view as someone else, that doesn't all of a sudden mean they're on team bad and you're on team good. So we're trying to teach these principles in ways that are distilled down for the kids. And um, that have a lot of story and a lot of character behind them so they can, like I said, just remember them for, for years to come. Obviously, the, the books are a source material. But then beyond that, what, what are kind of the influences as you guys approach the show? I mean, from the outside looking in, I'd say that, you know, there's definitely some uh, magic school bus there. There's some schoolhouse rocks there. There's oh, yeah. some Simpsons there. You know, there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's not yep. and, and nothing that's obviously like a, a clear copy. It's not even drawn in a particular style of any of those. But I feel like as you're watching, you can kind of feel those influences. For sure. Oh, totally. um, I'll speak to a few of them. And then Johnny, I'm sure, has some more. So um, Phineas and Ferb has always been an inspiration. Um, Epic School Bus, The Simpsons, like you mentioned. Um, and then uh, Gravity Falls. Was was another one Bluey, which you also mentioned has become a, uh, an influence more recently. Uh, Johnny, you probably have some others as well. Yeah, um, yeah, echo all of those. Uh, I'd say, you know, the appropriate part of Rick and Morty. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, Gravity Falls. Um, yeah, 
a lot of Pixar movies, we yeah, love how they, how they handle, you know, parent kid where it was something that kids could be entertained, but parents are like crying their eyes out at finding Nemo, you know, and yeah. just being able to resonate with both. I think it's just, it's been a goal of ours from the beginning. Well, if you, if you don't choke up at the end of toy story three, you don't, have, you don't have to cry. We're men here. You don't have to cry. But if you don't choke up at the end of toy story three, we probably can't be friends now. <laughs> you might be a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, well, Toy Story 4, we'll leave out there with Cars 2. They're, they probably shouldn't exist. But the, the end of Toy Story 3. <laughs> so, and you do, you know, you say the appropriate side of Rick and Morty. But um, Grandma Gabby, she's uh, she's spicy. She's spicy. <laughs> she's spicy. She's she's spicy. Are we getting back to that other question you had here right now? <laughs> is that where, where is, I, I don't know if I if I'm entertained or like deflated over uh, the fact that it's not you know especially having been in Central Florida for so long. I have an affinity for spicy old uh, Latin women. Uh, you know, I grew up in a, a church mm-hmm. full of them. And uh, if you had a problem, you went to uh, what we. Uh, would refer to as the the Spanish mafia in our, in our choir, which was just all these amazing uh, Puerto Rican women. But uh, you know, it's like some of the greats, like Bart Simpson famously voiced by a woman, um, you know, mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and again, very any, common in animation Yeah, and anything and everything voiced by Hank Azaria. I'm sure he's voiced, you know, women, non-women, non-humans, um, Yes. You know, he's, he's a genius, yeah. but I, I never would have guessed that one. I mean, I guess you wouldn't unless you see it, but I never would have guessed that one. So, so grandma is an immigrant from Cuba, right? In the story. And the actor that, that plays her, William Lucas is actually an immigrant from Cuba and grew up in Florida. And so he very much has that, um, he, he, he has that heritage and that, that grandma of his own that he draws on for inspiration. So it's very authentic to the, her, her authenticity to um, her, you know, her, her Latin American side, her, her Cuban side is very authentic because that's what he brings uh, to the table. And so it's been really great to have that. So for any of my, my listeners that haven't watched yet, uh, she's uh, got uh, grandma. Gabby has uh, got the sidekick. She's got this pet raccoon, this trash loving pet raccoon, Derek, who I don't even know. I mean, I'm sure there's only so many and you guys will know this. I don't as well, but you guys live it. So like there's only so many kinds of stories you can tell in any medium and there's only so many kinds of characters. I know there's all kinds of thought press behind that. So I'm sure Derek fits a category, but I just feel like there's not many peers with Derek in all of animation, maybe R2D2, which, you know, is only animated in some forms. Uh, who gets credit for Derek? Um, I, th- honestly, the entire writers' room, from my from my perspective. J- Johnny, did you have something else to say on this? We kind of, we yeah, we threw lots of you know ideas against the ro- wall. I think it might have been you, Daniel. I think well, you were like, I, I know, I was, a, I, I know, was, we want a, a crazy yeah. sidekick pet. Is I think you were pushing that, and then I think we threw out, oh, let's go with a a bald eagle. Uh, <laughs> Here's here's an idea of having a weasel or like a, a penguin or something, and then really, what about a, yeah. yeah a raccoon could be fun and yeah yeah we we I, I was pushing kind of from the beginning that I felt like they needed to have a little sidekick pet of some kind for comic relief um, 
And then, you know, it kind of brainstorm brought up a raccoon and then another brainstorm. I think Johnny might've brought in the name of Derek. And then it was just so odd and like plain. And then I have a cousin named Derek. That I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Let's he just eats go trash. <laughs> My cousin's yeah. really filthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's just it's one of those characters like you you can paint the picture of an old human grandma but it's until listeners until you watch the show you you're not going to grasp Derek it, he's, he's so well played so what's what's process look like for you guys because I think we're in this really cool time um, you know particularly you know hat tip to the podcasting world not to over inflate it but there's there's all these great um, rewatch podcasts that have really blown up here in the last year or two. And I, th- I think COVID really played a role in that. Uh, but you know, the, the guys from scrubs and office ladies, and then I, I think some others have seen their success and, and there's uh, some other ones out there now, but it's, it's given a lot of people that I think maybe wouldn't have sought it out, or at least that's, that's the case for me, this inside look into, um, you know, television and, and movie making in general and, and giving you more appreciation for the roles beyond the actors that help make these shows come together. And they really do a great job of, um, you know, highlighting, you know, the writers in the writer's room and you kind of get a feel for, for how that works and, you know, showrunners and like most before these podcasts, most people outside of the industry wouldn't know the term showrunner. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. And so right. uh, kind of what's the internal working look like? How do you guys dole out the shows? Does, does somebody go ahead, write, you know, kind of frame out an episode and then it comes into the writer's room and everybody kind of fills in the gaps or what's the process for you guys? Yeah. So it starts with Connor. So Connor's an executive producer on the project. So he may, we make sure that we know what is the lesson we're teaching in a given episode. And he gives us kind of, I, I worked with him directly to outline a framework of like a, here's the main lesson. Here's maybe like the one, two, three bullets underneath it. And we may or may not get to those in the final episode, but that's the starting point. He kind of signs off from that and proves on that. Cause that's Connor's primary role with the project is ensuring the integrity of the principles and the teachings coming across as intended in the original book series. Yeah. And then from there, that is given to the writers and they go off um, and we will have, um, they'll each kind of chase their own ways to tell that story um, and teach that lesson and kind of bring that back. Um, We'll have three writers on any given episode in addition to myself. My role in writing is much more of an idea and a revisionist and and kind of guiding kind of thing as opposed to bringing in um, the really like well-tailored scripts and stuff. That's much more like Johnny and uh, Kelly and Kellen and um, Zach and and Shay and all these others, writers, great writers that we have on the team um, and what they bring to the table. But we bring those together and then they kind of pitch their ideas and read them on sort of a higher level, like maybe like a page or two of script that we start out. And then um, we'll kind of hone in on what we feel like is the best one. I'm usually for whatever is working best for me, (laughs) Uh, you know, in all honesty, right. Where I I lead the creative on the show. And then we kind of make a storybook form of that rough script that we go and take to our audience. And so we feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to our audience because this show is parent funded and it's parent accountable. Um, we are making this for them. Like they, they funded the show, the $3.7 million that came in from crowdfunding. That's 
as parents really investing and wanting this to exist for their kids and for future generations. We take that very seriously. And so we go to them and we make a rough storybook form of this of this episode and we get feedback and see if there's any red flags of where we're pushing the envelope a little bit too much with the humor. Because at the end of the day, when we write this, we write this to be funny for us, yeah. right? And we're in our 30s and 40s and maybe 20s and different things like that, but we're not little kids. Um, but we we don't usually go the route of feeling like, what would be funny to a kid as much as is this funny to me and would it also be funny to a kid, right? That's more the process. We feel like that's more authentic to the storytelling. And then um, we put that out in front of our audience. They give a survey feedback of different things they enjoyed or didn't like as much, what confused them, where was it dragging? Um, and is the lesson coming across the way we need it to? And then we kind of adjust from there and go and write our first draft, our second draft, our third draft. And on each one of these drafts, we're doing readings. We're sitting down with members of the the, the Tuttle Twin show and actually also members of um, Harmon Brothers. This is this is done in association with Harmon Brothers where we have brain trust sit-downs. So we'll read the script to them and then we'll see where, where, where are the jokes that are hitting, where are people getting bored and where are they getting confused? Those are the primary feedback elements that we have. And then is the, is the lesson coming across the way it needs to. And then we iterate and we iterate over and over again until we feel like we've got it really solid. And then from there, it goes into an animatic process, but that starts with storyboards, right? Sitting down with story artists and they make storyboards. We record the voices um, of the characters or the temporary voices. We put those together in an edit and then we start adding in storyboards onto that, those voices and start to get a sense of timing and a sense of how the edit will flow. And again, it's just, you know, person going from pose to pose. It's not the finished animation, but it gives you the idea of whether or not the jokes play out now, not just in reading, but visually, right? Is everything coming across clearly in the way it needs to visually? And um, that, again, goes through rounds of what we call braid trust feedback, where we send out a link of the video and people are able to comment on the timeline of like, oh, this part didn't really work for me. What's going on here? This isn't very funny or this is great, that kind of stuff. And we take that feedback and we and we iterate on it. Yeah. Um, and this is a long process, like from beginning of an episode to the end, we're talking, you know, seven to eight months wow. um, in order to get one of these episodes done. That's from the starting of the writing to the finishing of the animation and being ready to publish on, on the angel platform. Like it's, 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 it's extensive, but I don't think any of us are, I guess none of us believe so much that we're like such creative geniuses that we don't, that we don't believe we need to have really great structure and system around ourselves to constantly gut check our, our, our intuition and constantly test our theories and our ideas and stuff, because we want to know that it's actually really working yeah. for the audience and that's working for other people and not just working for me. Right. And so we do, it's like, it's, it's a tough process because you have to kill a whole lot of jokes. Right. Yeah. Um, the term in the industry is kill darlings or in, if you're in advertising, it's kill babies, which is terrible, but um, <laughs> that's how it feels sometimes is you, um, you feel like you're, oh, I burst this thing and it's, it's amazing. And then I have to let it go because either there's a time constraint or it's not actually playing in the story the way it needs to and it's not supporting the end message. And we have all those kinds of discussions um, inside in order to get 
to what you see is a final finished product. It's good. It's not good because we're brilliant. It's good because we're willing to work at it and find the brilliant in it together as a team. And that's a very collaborative effort. Yeah. Uh, is there is there room for because you know animation is such a, a different beast production wise, um, you know like we're we're big fans here on the podcast of The Office in general, but The Office Ladies podcast, uh, Jenna and Angela, they kill it and they do a great job breaking down. They saved everything from while they were on the show, so they've got their scripts and their rewrites, and so they'll have their alts that they shoot. But then they also talk about, of course, that was such an ensemble cast, so so many things when you know. It's you've got what's scripted, you've got your alts, but then you really land on something in the moment, and that's what ends up in the show. Um, yep. And it's it was really collaborative on their set, but then like recently, it was this kind of crazy revelation, at least for me, as um, the crew from Bluey, as they were starting their live show tour here in the states, they had their voice actors making the rounds of like the, some of the late night shows, some of the morning shows. And um, the actress who voices the mom, Chili, and the actor who voices the dad, Bandit, the first time they met in person was like at the at the Tonight Show. <laughs> yep. You know, and so amazing. I feel like that probably then you know presents less room for that kind of um, you know ad libbing, kind of in the moment landing on something. So, what's that look like for your voice actors? How much? And, and Johnny, this might be great for you to speak to. Like, how much do they get yeah. to interact? How are they ever reading together? Uh, and is that you know particularly challenging if you're not? Yeah. Um, so, for the most part, actually, I don't. I can't think of a single time where we've had multiple voice actors, you know, in the same room playing off of each other. So it is, it is a little bit, you know, less of an improv kind of one-upping situation. I know like Pixar, they will, they will do that with, with some of their scripts. Well, they'll have, you know, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in the same room. Um, and maybe, you know, come season, uh, season 17, that's, you know, one of our, uh, <laughs> our goals <laughs> make 17 seasons. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll play around with that more. Um, but that being said, I, I do feel like there is magic in the recording space where, um, you know, we can, it, it's generally in my experience, it's generally between like the actor and the director where it's like, okay, you know, try this, try this. And then sometimes you'll just get an actor who just starts riffing and you have no idea as a director, what they're doing, what, <laughs> You would have never gone there. Yeah. And it's so outlandish, but it's so funny. And somehow some of those things make it into the edit at the end. And they're things so ridiculous. You never would have written them. Um, and they just come organically from one of these voice actors just really dialing in their character. Um, and that's just pure magic. I feel like, you know, you, you catch lightning in a bottle sometimes and sometimes you don't. And, and uh, um, yeah, so we love giving room. And, and as a voice actor, I love, uh, when a director gives me room to play with something and just to try things. And, you know, a lot of times it's, it doesn't work, but uh, a few times it's just gold. Is I, I wanted to ask about that because I feel like it's a, a, a unique experience, or I would assume it's a unique experience as a director too. And I think you, you both have directorial credits on the show. Is that, have that right? Yeah. And Correct. so right. what all does that entitle? I mean, uh, obviously, then you're there kind of playing the foil and trying to get the tone and intonation and the timing right with the actors. And I assume any given then segment of dialogue, you're getting that a few different ways so that you have those editing options. Um, 
But then, you know, how much input are you uh, giving as the director into, you know, blocking and those sorts of things for the animation? Yeah, um, I would say it's it's pretty collaborative all the way around. Um, yeah. Like every member yeah. of our team, you know, we have we have uh, voice actors who have done other shows, huge shows. We worked with, you know, people who worked on Jimmy Neutron and um, other shows like that. Um, so they have such depth of experience. A lot of times it's just like kind of giving them a box to play in. Um, and then on the same side with our animators, like we can have a, like as a director, you're kind of shepherding the script, um, like your idea of the script, but you'll have, we'll have some of our animators who have worked on, um, you know, storyboard artists who've worked on like, uh, the Snoopy show, what other shows like blue sky kind of stuff. Um, uh, so they have Looney Tunes so much experience that they'll just throw out gags or they'll throw out things that you like, I would have never thought of they're just funny and it just works and it just pushes the envelope. And so I think at least with our process, it's so collaborative where, where we, we have a good idea of how to do it, but we're open to better ideas and often pushing, you know, the people we work with for to one up what we have um, going in. Yeah. We're, we're very lucky to work on a show where ego has by and large, not reared its ugly head <laughs> and it really keeps the, the creative process free flowing and collaborative. And like Johnny said, continually one up in each other where storyboard artists will outdo, you know, uh, a scripting idea or, or make that better. And the director will make that better. And then, and then, you know, a producer will give a piece of feedback that will make that better. And it just goes on and on in that way. And it's also really nice because we're a small show um, we all have to wear a lot of hats. Like you mentioned, Johnny is a voice of Ethan. He's a writer. He's a director. He leads up our marketing team. And, um, and then he's also doing um, a lot of music stuff, uh, music writing and stuff for the show. And then in, in my case, I'm an executive producer, showrunner. I'm a director. I'm voiced on several things. I'm a writer. And, um, and then we've got producers that are giving brain trust feedback and that are and that are helping with uh, marketing ideas and just everybody wears multiple hats. We all feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to this this sort of um, this sort of mission that we have to reach a hundred million kids with the ideas of freedom. I mean, that's ultimately our goal with this show is to get this translated into multiple languages. And to educate the next generation, it's not about nothing about the new, you know, the, the next election cycle or anything like that. You've got to win the hearts and minds of the kids and help them think critically about these things early on so that they go armed into their into culture and their communities, into schools and all those places with knowing how to defend this stuff. Yeah. Because it's just not being taught in schools and it's not being taught in culture. And if and if we don't do it, who's going to? I mean, ultimately, that's what it's come down to for us. That's why I decided to take on this project in the first place and got so passionate about it. I was like, man, if I don't dive in and make this show happen, who's going to? And the answer was not clear at all that there wouldn't be anybody. So it's like, okay, we got to do this, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's nothing else in the space. And it just made me think of, uh, you know, kind of taking it back to, to Connor's uh, side of the house with the, the history textbooks. 
that they're publishing under the Tundle Twins name now, you know, with the first yep. volume uh, being out already, and just such a different approach to how history is presented to kids. Um, yep. You know, and I, you know, in my mild-mannered day job, I, I work in education, and I'm showing this to, you know, people who have taught, this, you know, that even on the private side, you know, the standard curriculum, even the quote-unquote good stuff they can get their hands on. And like, no, this is... Like they see how revolutionary that concept and that approach is and see the potential there. And it's that, that combination, right? Where if, you know, if my, if my son, if my daughter can begin to grasp these concepts, not just from, from hopefully observing my wife and I, but watching the cartoon and laughing, which uh, just a quick aside, a few things recently have made them laugh as hard as Supernicus. That line slayed <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> um, I, I had to rewind that so many times for my five-year-old. He's like, play it again. Okay, buddy. <laughs> Loved it. Um, you know, but like it's, it's that planting that seed and then feeding it and having those stages and being able to go to the books and then take it to the higher concepts where by time, you know, hopefully they get presented with the source material. You know, if they're reading um, – you know, wealth of nations, which has kind of been touched on tangentially so far. But if they're reading, you know, the law right. from Basiat, if they're reading the creature from Jekyll Island, you know, the full blown adult uh, version one, it's not, it's not new. And it's so much easier to, to wrap their heads around. And I think the show yeah. has just become such an important part of that. And so it's like the, the material itself is so impro- impressive to me. And then the process, uh, you know, hopefully, obviously just so intrigues me because I, I feel almost like, animation just in my because with a you know a a four and five-year-old four and six-year-old however old my kids are at this point we watch a lot of animated content and it just almost seems more difficult than live action to me i'm sure somewhere somebody's throwing something at their car radio or something but i'm just (laughs) like where you're having to the idea of thinking through the blocking and creating the shots and motion and what's going on in the background has always just been so impressive to me and animations just come so far and seeing you know the the background reaction on characters where the cartoons we grow up on, I mean, they're just chilling back there, static, you know, Bumblebee is not doing anything with his eyes in, you know, in the 1980s while Optimus Prime is going off on some monologue. It just wasn't a thing. Uh, <laughs> and so just thinking through that has always Budgets, been budget. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. um, with, you know, kind of touching on the uh, history book that, that Connor's put out is, are we going to be looking at some material kind of coming out of those and making their way into the show? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I was actually thinking that just as you were <laughs> talking about the history thing. It's like, huh, how would that work as a show? Um, there's no there's no current plans to do so, but I would I definitely wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility. Right now, we're very much trying to... Um, trying to build the show to a really great sustainable place where it can outlast our involvement in it. We want this to be, you know, to go 10 seasons and beyond. We just wanted to beat the Simpsons, you know, no big yeah. deal. Um, 30 plus <laughs> seasons or whatever. That'd be great. But there is always going to be more stories and more to teach around the principles of freedom and economics, because it's clear that societies and cultures are not going in the direction where they're in time too going to be making any of this irrelevant <laughs> in any way, you know? Yeah, I saw somebody polling today what part of the cycle, uh, you know, you feel like we're in, you know, between the, you know, hard times make hard men, hard men make good times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dear God, I hope we're in the hard times part right now. I'm like, I, I hope that's not still coming beyond where we're at right now, because God help us. 
Uh, so I, I hope we're in the hard times uh, cycle right now, and maybe we can we can get out of this. Um, but amen, uh, amen, amen. amen. So, I mean, I'm a Christian, so I just want to see Jesus come. So I guess the hard times have to come with that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, so and on that, you know, one of the things, kind of how we connected through uh, uh, Twitter Space, that Brian Dement from the the Orange Pill app, which, uh, as listeners are hearing this, Brian was just on the podcast uh, two weeks ago and had a great time. Didn't have near enough time. Could have done six hours with Brian, and hopefully we'll we'll get to do a few more hours with him. But he kind of opened it up for Q and A, and and I popped on at the end because, um, I, you know, I told you guys, um, you know, you toyed with my heart a little bit back uh, in April. I can't remember if that was this year or last year. You guys will remember. But as a very, very, very cruel April Fool's joke, um, you guys posted on your socials that you had been picked up by the Daily Wire. And it was incredibly believable. They've obviously been expanding, uh, you know, in the media area anyways. They had already announced they'd had enough of Disney's garbage and they were going to branch into kids programming. I'm like, everything about this made sense. And then it just wasn't true um you know and so I, I called you guys on that you a can bit. thank johnny for that one <laughs> yeah gee, yeah um sorry we should have been more obviously not true it just was amazing it was just so funny we did have jp sears reach out to us be like congrats guys um, and i'm like jp you need to read the, the fine print of the article it was a joke but um yeah it was too close to the mark so uh well, and the, the crazy thing that being is, said, you know, we, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I, mean, I was going to say like, the crazy thing is like, you look at that on the surface, anybody who's familiar with what you guys are doing and familiar with the daily wire goes, oh, that'd be such big, amazing exposure. And yeah, that make that'd make a lot of sense. Let's make that happen. Except for there's some stuff going on in, in your realm and in the realm of your distribution right now, um, that kind of blows that exposure out of the water. <laughs> In that, um, you know, you guys are, I don't know what the right word is, hosted, distributed, uh, you know, whatever. But the show is on is on Angel Studios. It's on the Angel Network. Yep. Um, yep. It's funny if you, if you start to look into Angel Studios a little bit, those guys are also Harmon Brothers. It's uncanny. <laughs> yeah. We're not sure why. Yeah. So it's, it's like such a coincidence. It's a coincidence, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm a co-founder of Angel Studios. Um, I haven't worked there day to day in, in a long time, but we, we are partnered with them as a distribution partner. And obviously they're having a tremendous amount of success at the time of this recording because Sound of Freedom is just killing it, right? Absolutely killing it. And so much of the audience that is going to watch Sound of Freedom, it's now crossed $100 million, which is just mind boggling. I went to that audience actually crosses over with our audience, the pedal twins as well. So we're, we're really excited about that. Yeah. And, and that's where I was headed with that. I'm like, one, it, you know, from a podcasting standpoint, it screwed me a little bit. Cause I don't, I can't dig into things like pay it forward as much. Cause it's not revolutionary. Everybody knows now, cause everybody's heard about it uh, because of sound of freedom, but it, it's just been, you know, Already the studio had had some runaway hits. I think, you know, obviously I, I f- feel like Tuttle Twins has seen some success, but then Chosen, of course, uh, has been a, a viral success uh, already. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say not on the scale of, of what you guys have seen with Sound of Freedom. And it's got to just be putting uh, a ton of eyes um, on the show, you know, on Tuttle Twins at this point as well. Yeah, well, what Sound of Freedom has done is, 
is so interesting because it's created such a cultural discussion moment that has eclipsed anything that has happened with The Chosen. Now, in overall viewership, um, The Chosen has over 100 million people that have watched that show worldwide, right? Which is tremendous. And then Sound of Freedom, I think to date, has somewhere a little over uh, over the neighborhood of 10 million um, tickets that have been been sold. And so The Chosen is still a bigger property, um, but The Sound of Freedom, like it, it's having this, just incredible media moment where everyone has an opinion on, on it. And, and if you go and you watch the show, I mean, full disclosure, I worked on the show a little bit. I have, I have a credit in there as a post-production advisor where I just sat down with the editor for um, a day to help finalize and cut down the edit about refine it just a little bit. But it wasn't much of a role. Like I said, it was a, a little more than a day of work, but it, um, the show, if you go watch it, it is not a political movie, right? It's it's just not. It is it's very much just about um, the the trafficking of kids and about um, a man's desire and actions to go and save them. And it's very inspiring. It's a uh, in my mind, it very much should be a unifying thing. But then the media has very much turned it into you know not that um, because of a number of different reasons. But no, when you watch it, it's it is it is absolutely just like it's just a great movie with a great story and a great cause and it's really encouraging to see how many people um are getting behind it and the awareness that it's generating for these kids because i mean mentioned earlier like jesus second coming there's, there's two things in this world that i that make me want jesus to come like tomorrow if he can it's War and then the 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 trafficking, yeah. specifically the trafficking of of children in this this area. Those are the two main things that make me just be like, you know, Jesus, come tomorrow. It's fine. Let's get this, let's get this show on the road. Yeah. But, um. Anyway, yeah, it's it's been incredibly inspiring and encouraging to watch the, all their success with that. Uh, with that, I, I assume, and I don't know if you can answer this, maybe this will be breaking news. Maybe this is already out there. Who knows? That's the fun of the podcast. But when the when the movie goes to st- streaming, I assume it'll go to Angel Studios. I assume it'll be on the app. It will eventually. No, There's no announced date for that. Yeah. But yes, eventually it will be streaming on the Angel app. So, I mean, obviously that's got to be exciting. I didn't realize the numbers behind The Chosen. That's massive and that's amazing. And do, I mean, do you see... Um, you know, I, I do want to keep the the focus on on Tuttle Twins. It's just tough. There's a lot of cool stuff going on there right now, which I'm sure is just super exciting for you guys. Um, but you know, do you, do you see kind of kind of viewership numbers and click through into Tuttle Twins kind of ebb and flow? Uh, you know, like with episodes of The Chosen or different releases and stuff like that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, we, we do see. Sure. Go ahead, Johnny. Go ahead, Johnny. You you yeah, watch that um, more closer uh, than I do. It, yeah, we we see kind of a network effect of. Um, when one show comes back, we'll get huge viewers. When we have our episodes launch, other shows will get, you know, big spikes in viewership. So yeah, it, it is this because Angel's a free app. Um, you know, we do have, you know, rapid growth of people coming in, checking these shows out for free, seeing the shows and discovering Toto Twins, you know, Ring Feather Saga is another one. Um, and it, it's really cool. And then, and then, they come because it's free and they hear, oh, it's good content. They stay because they love it. And then they pay it forward if they found value from the show, um, you know, and they can say, oh, I want this show to stay free. I want to pay it forward so more people can see this show. So it's it's very much a, 
in, in, a, in a world of very saturated, you know, a very saturated market of streaming services, um, anyone can afford Angel Studios app. Um, and uh, you can pay it forward if you have, you know, if you feel the need. Uh, what was the catalyst for the pay it forward model? Like, how'd you guys stumble upon that? So um, if I remember correctly, it was, um, they were trying to launch the chosen, the chosen before there was the angel studios app, it was the chosen app. And it was, they tested a paywall. They tested many things. I think the pandemic was starting to hit and they just, um, kind of, I think as one of the tests, the engineers just tried to, was it a limited time that they had it for, for free or something yeah. like that. Yeah, they made and it free they for, I think they mm-hmm. said like a week or two weeks or something like that. And then within the first like 48 hours, they'd made more money um, in making it free than they had when they were asking people to pay for it. Yeah. So it just taps into, I mean, particularly the chosen, you know, it taps into this innate desire of other people. Oh man, this really touched me. I want it to bless others so i'm gonna you know pay pay for that to happen yeah so is is the plan for the foreseeable future kind of to stay with that model i mean are there advantages and disadvantage to kind of um you know the more uh, traditional way you would fund uh, shows or larger projects like feature films uh you know is it more creative control is it so Angel does give us a tremendous amount of creative control, which we're very grateful for. Um, they don't really have any interest and haven't shown any history of dictating um, to us at all on the content. They'll throw out ideas occasionally, but it's not. there's nothing forceful about that. Um, so we're super appreciative of that. And yes, the pay it forward model is very much here to stay and how much that plays into individual shows and movies, I think just depends. So for example, Long-term, Tuttle Twins, by and large, stands to make more money from merchandising than it does from pay-it-forward. Pay-it-forwards are great. They're fantastic. We super appreciate our audience that does that for other people. It's it's amazing. Um, But just traditionally, TV shows for kids make 70% of their revenue from merchandising, right? Um, If you look at properties like cars, and Toy Story, their box office numbers amount to only around like 10 to 15% of the total, total revenue of those of those brands. And so much more of that is coming in the the merchandising and the licensing and and the you know the games and all these other things that kind of come into play with it. And that's a little bit more long term we where we see Tuttle Twins um, thriving is with um, all the other things that are part of the Tuttle Twins universe that people can can purchase or that they can help support. And, and Pay It Forward will be an a- aspect of that. Who knows? It might be um, a tremendous one long-term, but um, I, we, we think merchandising is probably you know, going to be our bigger play. Yeah. Well, and already some of the merch is so genius. And, you know, and it's not even the overt Tuttle Twins TV merch. It's the at least not in my demo. It's the uh, places to go, people to see, communists to offend shirt is just fantastic. And uh, I don't co-parent with the government. I mean, th- these are these are excellent. So I'm sure the kids awesome. like the plushies and stuff, but those shirts, I'm like, yeah, I'm the demo for that one. 
I would. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't know if this will be an original idea to you guys, but I, it, it was just dumb luck. I was actually looking at um, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad merch yesterday, and they've got like economics based games. Um, and, and boy, is Robert a capitalist because they're like 70 bucks for his board game. So I'm like, a Tuttle Twins TV branded economics board game that won't bankrupt my family. I think that's got potential. I think you'd move some units. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. So. Well, what Robert doesn't tell you is that he, he includes real money as the monopoly money. So, you know, it, it really, he breaks even <laughs> on the game. So, okay. Kale, you're, uh, you're, I think you're looking at our internal documents. Um, <laughs> we're, 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 we've been, we've been planning something. So I don't know if we're ready to announce it yet, but uh, gosh. Yeah, I think you've, you've hacked into our, our system. Listen, so, uh, I, I don't know how you guys feel about remote work from Florida, but I'm available. I mean, I'm just throwing it, <laughs> throwing it out there. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm in. Um, so uh, you guys are into the second season now. Any uh, any darlings? Uh, either you have just a, an episode that's near and dear to your heart. Our Bitcoin episode blew up. It went viral um, all over the place on um, on Twitter, on TikTok, on um, Instagram, and it was very well received. And people saying things like, "Man, I, you guys describe, you guys explained in twenty minutes what I I couldn't explain to my wife in like two thousand hours." <laughs> I don't know. There's we, we've seen different comments like that um, on Bitcoin, and that's a really fun one to see. But a dar a couple of darlings coming up as we have um is it this month johnny or is it the next month on victim mentality uh it's this month yeah august yeah first tuesday in august man okay. if i could remember the tuesdays yeah. i think it's yeah the yeah. august 1st itsy bitsy victim mentality is coming out nice so. yeah, that one that one's that one's very relevant yeah right oh for sure and and, and then we, got we have that one, one that i'm excited about go ahead wrestling with socialism yep. that's uh the twins meet uh your friendly neighborhood carl marx in that episode so um, <laughs> we're, we're we're excited for oh some of the pushback gosh. and well documented stuff we put in there about marx uh, so we're excited for the pushback from the socialists and and some of the the ideas that kids will be you know introduced to in that episode well, on the on the itsy bitsy victim mentality, that one it, for the listeners who are like on it and they're listening on release day, that'll be tomorrow. So if you're listening to the day this episode drops, the the live stream for that new episode uh, will be the day after. And and then otherwise, if you miss the live stream, they're there. Seeing you guys skewer marks, I feel like that needs to be a super episode. I feel that needs more than the thirty minute window. <laughs> We should probably bring them um, back in the future. Yeah, it'll it'll be uh it'll be fun. Well, it'll be fun. And in fairness, <laughs> the time will be had by all. Uh, you you know it's it, to to be fair. I you guys aren't. I wouldn't say the show is quite the equal opportunity offender that say uh, you know uh, a South Park is, uh, where everybody's getting roasted. But uh, you guys have a little fun with some of uh, what I would say some of our, our more beloved, favored historical figures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're definitely not wanting to um, completely whitewash or sugarcoat um, historical figures. We want to, we, we, we want to also, we don't want to trash them, right? Um, all people are people. They're complex. We, we've got an episode that we did recently on um, learning from imperfect people. 
that ideas to applaud can come from people who are flawed, right? And that we think is a very, it's a very important topic because so much is written off in the way of good ideas because, oh, so-and-so did this in their life or they believed in this as well. And that's just like, if you're closing yourself down to those kinds of things, like, okay, so essentially you're just saying we're going to close ourselves down to everybody, right? If everyone has some sort of like, thing about themselves that is not the that we're not proud of right that we're we're all we all have aspirations somewhere up here and then what we live is somewhere a little bit below that right we're all we're all trying for something better than what we are and anyway we felt like that was important to acknowledge and in in addition to the socialism episode we also have one coming out on education that we think is going to be really fun about how um when learning is desired classrooms aren't required um, and so we're going to be going into that a little bit and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. We got a lot of fun stuff planned for this season. So that one, that one I'm guessing would, that'll be kind of an adaptation of education vacation. If we're looking back at the books. Yeah. It's, it's drawing on the lessons in education okay. vacation. It's, um, it's taking a little bit of a different um, route than that, but, um, by and large drawing on the same principles. Yeah. No, I, I the, um, the ideas to applaud can come from people who are flawed was so powerful. And even just taking the clip uh, out of that show, you know, for listeners that haven't seen it, it's just the, the game show setting at one point where, uh, you know, the kids are having to guess who, who said these various things and it's, it's some good things and some bad things. And it's all from the same person at a time when we're watching history be erased uh, in, in the States. And we're seeing, you know, like the toppling of, and, certain prominent, uh, you know, divisive politicians called it. But when we're seeing the toppling of statues, not of, you know, Confederate generals, but of Thomas Jefferson, of people calling for statues of Mm -hmm. George Washington to be removed, I think, I think, I hope that John Adams will be safe for a while. I identify personally with John Adams, just a cantankerous old man. Um, he's my spirit animal. Um, and if he makes his way into an episode, uh, God bless you. It'll put a big smile on my face. Um, he does have, we, we, we reference him in our free speech episode, don't we, Johnny? Um, we, we, we do, uh, but not as a, not as a, not as a character. Uh, he's more of a, that's true. You know, a that's side, true. a side character. It's part of, it's part of the yeah. lesson. Yeah. A little bit there. I yeah. just, I, I want to just feel free to portray him as like the animated version of, uh, Walter, the puppet. Uh, would just, <laughs> which is basically, it's all just a variations on Paul Mead, Jim Adi anyways, who killed it. But, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> seeing that and being able to represent that and help kids understand why, you know, if, if that's, if perfection's the standard, then we don't get to have any heroes, right? Then there's, that's no, right. then there's no one to look up to and to judge on a sliding scale is even less fair. Right to, to not right. go back and judge them on the norms of their time. Not to say that the norms were okay, but to recognize the kind of uh, enlightenment, the kind of self-awareness it would take to question those norms as someone like Jefferson did. That, yeah, he yep. was this dichotomy of a man, but had the wherewithal, had um, you know the divine inspiration enough to question these things that were law, that were preached from the pulpit at the time and go, no, I think we've got this wrong. That's no small thing. And people, we just have such a hard mm-hmm. time translating that, especially our youth, translating it and understanding that in our time. And that's what I think episodes like that then become so powerful because it makes it so easy to understand and grasp that concept and kind of run with it. 
Yeah, you're actually making me think of a future Tuttletons episode of of judging judging someone by their time, you know, and by their circumstance as opposed to, you know, by what you've known in your life. That's a really interesting thought. Yeah, well, and I mean, I'm just going to go straight into pitches here and I don't need I don't need bylines for this. Though that would be dope. I did see that Zuby has a producer credit. And I'm just trying to ride those coattails, but like you guys have already done a future episode. It would be cool to see a character travel into the future and be judged by the norms then. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh yeah. That's, That's awesome. Fun. I love that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. You got your shoes from Nike. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> How many? Oh. Oh, you got your phone from Apple? Yeah. No, you, you let who uh, dig up the materials for the batteries in your Tesla? <laughs> there's there's potential there. I'm telling if you guys write that episode and uh put John Adams in it, I will throw you just all the pay it forwards. Just take just take all my <laughs> But just to let you know, Kel, I probably got 15 more minutes. Okay, right on. Well, let's. Uh, I mentioned Zuby real quick. You guys have had some cool guest spots, uh, you know, some guest voices uh, show up. Can you guys tell me kind of how those tend to come about? Is that something you guys seek out? Do they tend to come your way? Yeah. Um, so I had a prior relationship um, with, with, uh, with J.P. Sears, for example, um, uh, on a podcast that I had, I had had him on um, with Carmen Brothers, and so we reached out to him, and JP was very aligned. He's like, man, he's like freedom and family and 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 kid. He's like, this is right up my alley, and so that was a really great match for us. And then Johnny, um, you were on the side of reaching out to Zuby, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zuby, um, I don't remember if he had heard of us before we reached out. I think he'd heard of the Chosen. Yeah, that was just kind of like, oh, we really love Zuby. We love what he's doing and feel like he's a good tone for the show. And we reached out and he loved it. Um, but going forward, like, you know, Zuby, Zuby had some, we snuck him in the episode. He has like a tiny character and he was able to, you know, evangelize the show for us and do a partnership there. But, um, you know, going forward, what we're looking for, you know, is actually like integrating cool people into the show um as more of a character sometimes reoccurring and uh, like Jarrett from the babylon b he's been somebody this season who has a reoccurring character reoccurring character in our show um and so fun working with the b guys they're just just hilarious and a dream to work with oh they're killing Um, it and so that's i think yeah they're just killing it right that's I think the future of what we're looking for is not just kind of a one-off, but like deep integrations and partnerships with people who we really respect. And man, the other day, I mean, we talked with Mike Rowe and there could be something in the future with him. And, you know, the idea of, um, of partnering with things that they're passionate about too. Uh, I, we love, I personally love the brave books. If you've heard of those, um, and they, they, they partner with, you know, people with these authors and figures who who are passionate about things and so i think in the future you'll see a lot more of that at total twins like we partner on a lesson with a person um and a character that makes sense and kind of uh build off of each other's brands in that way yeah it was really exciting as a fan to see micro popping up on the social medias with you guys because mike and what he's about and the whole micro works foundation 
is such a natural fit with this message. And he is America's mm-hmm. voice. I want him to narrate all the things always. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Got a Me, great too. Voice. Me too. So at, we're uh, big fans of space, both here on the podcast and in the family. And so we're out at the, at, you know, we're in Central Florida. So we're out at the Space Center all the time. And for quite a while, as you were right, there's a little bus tour where they drive you past the big vehicle assembly building. And then you go out to a building that just houses a Saturn V laying on its side. So you spend your time out there and you ride back and they play little videos on them. And for the longest time, the ride back. It was all about the Artemis program. It was before the first launch, and it was narrated by Mike Rowe. And it was the best part of the whole trip. And now that they've done, had their first Artemis launch, they swapped out the video. And I'm what? And it's not Mike, and I don't understand what that garbage is or who's making these horrible decisions <laughs> out there. Uh, but it needs to be rectified. So. But, uh, yeah. Well, with, with limited time, one thing we haven't hit on uh, is, you know, you guys are great storytellers. The, the show's fantastic, but every great story has a great antagonist. And that's, of course, true of the Tuttle Twin show. <laughs> and so we've got to talk a little bit about uh, Corinne, not Karen, Corinne. Corinne. Uh, wh- what and or who uh, <laughs> is the muse for, for Corinne? Because she is fantastic. <laughs> so. In the original writers' meetings, uh, one of our writers, Kelly, she brought this idea of having um, an antagonist and that she felt like that age to show up a little bit if you've got a little bit of an enemy in the show. We all kind of bought into that idea and, and agreed. And she, we, she had it as kind of this bratty girl. And we, we really kind of loved the idea of having a character who could sort of poke holes in the ideas and bring up the objections that, that are seen out there, you know, online in culture and everywhere else about these things. And it would be a natural way to tell the story and continually kind of have the pushback so that the kids have to, so the Tuttle Twins themselves have to go through the process of really thinking through those objections and, and doing the critical thinking around it and, and understanding, um, maybe the flaws in some of that pushback um, or maybe some of the validity in it too. Right. And so that's, that's what the character of Corinne really embodies. And it's funny um, at the time that we started writing this, the Karen thing hadn't quite peaked. It was on its way up. Right. And, and so we thought it would be fun to call her, um, her Karen um, as like she would be Corinne, but they would just call her Karen all the time. And then by the time we got to like the second episode, we were far, far enough along down in production that we realized the Karen thing was probably going to get old pretty quick. And so we were like, oh, let's just make that a little bit of a subtext going forward. And we'll just have her be Corinne all the time. And and then I have a really nice um, uh, family uh, a neighbor up the street from us called Corinne. Really, really great girl. But <laughs> that's where... The, the name Corinne itself kind of uh, came from, at least from, from my side and calling her that. And, um, and then Natalie Madsen, originally of Studio C fame, but JK Studios is where um, she's a part of now. So that actor, she's also a writer on the show. And when um, we had developed the character and we were thinking of casting, uh, she was like the first person that came to mind because she had this, character that she created for different sketches um, called Loving Life. And it's this really mean sort of like valley girl kind of um, 
persona that is really judgmental and um, all kind of up in everybody else's business and thinks the world should be this way and that way. And the way she portrayed that character, I was just like, can we do that? But just like more childish and meaner. (laughs) And um, that's kind of where that came from is she's, she is so much of the inspiration for the character itself came from Natalie and the character she'd created prior to that on, on, on loving life and from so much of her persona. And so she's, I mean, for me, she's like maybe my favorite character. And like all good villains, she's like the opposite in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just yeah. channel it. The best people channel the worst people. It's great. Yeah, she's 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 very nice. Everybody, <laughs> she's a very, Natalie is a very nice, genuine, awesome person, and Corinne is nasty. <laughs> so she's literally playing a character in this case. But yeah, she's just done a brilliant job of capturing that and bringing bringing improv uh, to the table when we do recordings and and bringing um, you know writing. She's, she's written on several episodes and things. So. Yeah, it's been a joy to work with her. Yeah, no, such a great character. So, so easy to dislike. So awesome to see those those little moments of, you know, the light bulb going on. Um, you know, a little bit of the the Jim and Pam, will they, won't they, love entry, interest vibe. Um, it's uh, just thoroughly enjoyed that one. Now, again, and I swear, I didn't want you guys on the podcast just so I could pitch my own ideas for the show. But if Corinne ever complete, like, just did a, a shot for shot remake of like an AOC clip when she does her Twitch stuff. Whoa. <laughs> uh, it, I'm just saying there's a, there's a lot of material there. <laughs> it's funny you say that because in the Bitcoin episode, we took a line from Senator Warren about calling, isn't Bitcoin just air? And we gave that to Corinne. Uh, we gave it to so- Corinne. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that, that that's a great idea. We will uh, yeah. we'll, we'll put that in sometime. We'll just you. yeah, you know, it's just you just gotta while she's doing it, you just gotta work in the word bodega, and it'll be perfection. <laughs> so, oh um, my god! But no, I, I love it, and we we kind of breeze past. We mentioned it a few times the Bitcoin episode. I, I made this the same comment to to Brian when he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I. It was as an adult, as a grown man with bills and kids and responsibilities, it was the best explainer on Bitcoin I had come across until I read Brian's book, which is great, but still not as accessible. I'm just like, from now, that just needs to be the entry drug. Somebody's like, I don't get Bitcoin. Well, I'm going to need you to watch this episode of The Kids Show before we talk anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a really good primer, and for sure we had several... Had several people were working on that episode that um that actually were like I'm gonna buy some Bitcoin after they watched it like they would give us feedback on the writing and everything like well I think I'm sold I'm gonna go get myself some Bitcoin I was an investor before but now I'm going to be so that was really that was really encouraging to see uh you know I'm gonna out myself a little bit here in that so I watched that episode with the kids loved it I'm like okay some of this stuff clicks you know, found Brian, he was nice enough to send me the book, start reading through the book. By the time I'm done talking with him, I'm just thoroughly intrigued. And I'm like, well, I'll just goof with it a little bit. I'll see how easy this is, how accessible it is. I'm like, I'll, I'll pop on and I'll buy 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin and I'll transfer it to a wallet and see. And it, uh, you know, it, you guys will appreciate this because in the biz, this is a callback, but my genius MBA CPA wife, uh, several days later, she goes, Hey, what's this transaction in our bank account? <laughs> 
I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to mess around with the, the Bitcoin stuff. I, you know, I wasn't thinking about it being straight out of the bank account. Forgot to tell you my bad. She's like, yeah, dummy. She's like, it's a whole extra tax form now because you wanted to play with $10 of Bitcoin. I got to check a box. I got to <laughs> fill out a whole other form. I'm like, uh, my bad. <laughs> So, you know, listeners, if you've been sway if you get swayed by uh, the Bitcoin episode of the Total Twins or uh, listening to Brian's episode here uh, on the podcast, just, you know, just talk with, you know, talk with the spouse about it first, particularly if that's the one who does <laughs> yeah. all of your tax filing. That is advisable. Yes. So, well, guys, I appreciate this so much. We're such, such big fans. Um, uh, you know, I'm hoping for 17 seasons and beyond. I'd love to see you guys surpass the the simpsons and uh lord knows there's uh plenty of source material out there in the world these days uh to to correct so uh you know hopefully the the episodes keep on coming amen to that thank you for your support really appreciate it kill yeah so yeah thank you so much kill oh no great having you guys uh the the show we talked about it it's on angel studios it's a free app it's on apple tv i'm sure roku um, you know, on all your mobile devices, it's just, uh, on the web. Um, if you want to pick up and check out some of the merch we talked about, uh, tuttletwins.store, um, you know, there's Derek plushies, there's all kinds of fun stuff on there. Great shirts and uh, graphic novels of the shows, um, all that type of stuff. It's, uh, the social media accounts are, 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 are Twitter, Instagram are both just Tuttle Twins TV, I think. Yeah. Yes. So that's uh, right. Easy to find, easy to follow and support, uh, you know, do, if you're enjoying the content, if you like what they're about, uh, do the pay it forward thing, make it, uh, help make it free for, uh, someone else. And, uh, you know, it's an important message and, uh, it's awesome that you guys are getting it out there. So really appreciate your time, appreciate what you're doing and, uh, you know, praying for a lot of success for you guys going forward. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. So, thanks so much. And with that, Daniel and Johnny have left the building, but so appreciated speaking with those guys and then making the time to uh, come and talk to us this week about everything they've got going on over there. Definitely encourage you in whatever way you can to support the work they're doing over at Tuttle Twins TV. And uh, speaking of support, we wouldn't mind a little bit ourselves here at the Solid 7 Podcast and the easiest way to do that is just whatever app you are listening to us on right now, find that subscribe button, the follow button, um, give us a, a review or a rating. Everything you do with that tells their algorithms to tell other people about us and help them find the show. And uh, we so appreciate all of that. If you haven't already, stop by the website, solid7podcast.com. That's solid, the number seven podcast.com. There you can always find links to our latest episodes, our merch, all of our affiliate links, uh, Chaco Fuel, Origin Main, Go Ruck, and of course, Tuttle Twins. Those are all great ways to support the podcast and uh, get some awesome things for yourselves. Links to our social media is on there. You can even become a Patreon supporter right there on the website. And with that, that's all we have for you this week. Until next time, we're out. The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. 
The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces Way of Life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events. And a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast.